All right, you can be seated if you have your Bibles. I hope you do. Please take them. And I know we took a break from Hebrews, but we're going to go back to Hebrews. Uh, we might as well just stay there. We're going to be back next week. But turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at a passage in just a few minutes. Uh, we've been doing this series called Out of Rhythm. We've talked about our rhythm and our relationship to the Lord and, and our relationship to our spouse. And last week we talked about staying in rhythm with our family. And this morning we're going to we're going to jump in to tackle the issue of our of church and church life. And and I'm just going to ask some questions and and uh, kind of get us started this morning. Uh, and this is kind of a loaded question, but but why do you come to church? What is it that motivates you, that inspires you, encourages you? together with the body of Christ to worship. And I, I kind of thought about that question, and I tried to think of some of the answers. And, and obviously, uh, Mama Makes Me probably is one on the list. Uh, my mother was actually in the early service this morning, and uh, and I can remember the day uh, when I went to church. Some of the reasons was because Mama said, we're going. And, you know, my dad was going to do something else, and I wanted to go with him. She goes, no, no, you're, you know, you're going to church. So some of us are here because Mama makes me, or, or maybe my wife insists that we go, or, or, uh, or, or my husband, or, or, or you might say, well, my kids need it. Um, I talked to a guy one night, and he actually was up in the youth building, and I invited him to something. He says, oh, no, I don't need it. He says, my kid needs it. He's here. I don't need it. But some of us are here because we think our kids need it. Or, or maybe your answer would be, well, I, I need to meet with God. And I think that's probably a good answer. Or, or it really gives me a lift. Or, or I feel like I'm supposed to be here. Or I'm here to worship God or to see my friends. Or, uh, or maybe your reason was I'm the pastor and I have to be here. Or I'm the uh, worship pastor or whatever case may be. But those are, those are some of the reasons that we might give. And you may have another reason. In fact, you, chances are you have a better reason than that. But I, but I want us to, and the reason I say all that, because I want us to think a little bit deeper than that this morning. What are, what are we really here for? Maybe what, what should you and I be here for? Because let's face it, the Sunday school answer is, well, I'm here to worship and honor God. And that's true. That's true. Uh, that has to be true. If you're not here for that, then, then obviously um, that, that's it's probably not the right reason to be here. But in the context of coming to worship and honor God, there can just be some other things that filter in that can be a little bit um, dangerous. And, and I want to be careful this morning uh, because... Uh, I'm going to talk about being a part of church, and I'm going to talk about coming to church and and why you should come to church. But I want to qualify what I'm going to say. I I was going to do it later, but we have to do it now. Man, I I say, man, folks, my purpose is not to guilt you into coming to church or guilt you into being a part of a group at church. I'm convinced scripturally we need to be part of the body. God expects and wants us to be part of the body. Uh, but but I would never want to guilt you, but I do think there's some things in Scripture that, that need to come to light because I think it can be a motivator. And, and I think there's a danger because while we know we come to worship and honor God, if we're not caref- careful, we can kind of get into the the uh, almost the consumer mentality, if you will. Well, I, I'm going to go to church because the church is going to do X for me. The, you know, the, the church is going to provide... Uh, a great program for my kids, and, and we should and we want to. Or, or the church is going to have the kind of program that I want for my students, and, and we should and, and we have to. But if we're not careful, we ask 
we, we get caught up in the sense of, of what's in it for me. How, how's this going to uh, benefit me? Does it meet my family's needs? Does it meet my needs? Do, do they sing the kind of music I like? Uh, do they do they use the, do they preach from the translation of the Bible that I like? Uh, do they preach too little or too much? You know, whatever. We just kind of fit all these questions in because the the fact is. Uh, Consumerism can kind of get into the church. I, I read about, actually I heard about, and then I read about a cartoon uh, dating from a number of years ago. Uh, anybody anybody read Doonesbury? Anybody here? Uh, okay, well, wow, that's that's good, good. I, I'm not a cartoon guy, and I'm not a cartoon fan, but, but this one was kind of interesting. Uh, so let me just set it up. It says... Um, the minister sitting in the empty church, he's talking to his old friend, and he says, it's an interesting congregation, Mike, not to me, but the guy, you know, Mike. He says, he says members are far more consumer conscious than they used to be. He says, now the church has to deliver for its members. Counseling, social events, recovery programs, tutoring, got to have a fitness center. He says, we have to offer it all. And his friend says, Mike answers and says, well, where does God fit into all this? And he says, God? Well, God's still the draw for sure. I mean, he's got the big name. And so Mike says, well, but do you ever invoke it anymore? And he goes, well, hmm. frankly, Mike, God comes with a lot of baggage. You know, the whole male Eurocentric guilt kind of thing. Now, that's a cartoon, but that speaks to some of our culture that if we're not careful, church is about what is it, what is in it for me? Now, we live in a culture, I mean, let, let's face it, our, our, we're in a consumer-driven culture that fosters the idea, we're bombarded with the idea that life's about us. I mean, all kinds of consumer goods are marketed uh, to us. With the idea that if you wear this, you'll look good. If you drive this, you'll look good. If you own this or have this or, or think this or possess this. And, and, and they kind of go on and on. And, and they talk about how valuable that will make us. And, and listen, we, we do need many of the things that the culture challenges us to buy. And if you do wear some of those clothes, you, you will look nicer and you will look more modern and up to date. In fact, uh, last weekend was my birthday, and my daughters, uh, my daughters and wife gave me an outfit. I mean, the whole thing. And my daughter says, "Dad, now you're into the 21st century." You know, it's kind of like you know, she cowboy cuts and wranglers. I mean, she's kind of had you know, let's move on, right? So, so what I'm saying, listen, a lot of the stuff we have is good. I'm not saying that. The, the, the things we have are not good. I mean, I, I, I like cars with air conditioning. I mean, I, I like a lot of the things. But, but what I'm saying is our culture has kind of, um, it, it just, it's conditioned us to think, man, it's, what am I going to get out of the deal? What is in this for me? And if we're not careful, that can filter over into the church. Uh, many of you remember uh, the book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. The very first sentence says, what? It's not about you. It's not about you. I remember reading that. And that was a, there was a big, it was kind of a big to-do about that. But the reality is when you, when you study Scripture and, and when you look at what it says about the church, and there is, in, in Scripture, the Bible assumes that believers attend church. 
The Bible even assumes that the members, that the believers are, are a part of a, a, a connected part of the group. But the Bible also assumes that it's really not just about what is in it for me. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about anything, but I want us to see what the scripture says about, about church. So look with me, uh, and, and we're going to jump, we're kind of going to, we're going to get kind of in the middle of a context, and I know I'm, uh, I should read the whole paragraph, but I'm just going to jump in. We'll come back to the first part of the paragraph in a few, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, but look at chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see today, drawing near. Now, there's so much in this passage of Scripture. Uh, let me just pray for God's wisdom. We'll jump in and we'll cover all that we can in, uh, in our time together this morning. Father, I, I do pray that, that you would encourage us uh, to understand why we need uh, to not forsake the meeting together, why it's so important that we gather as a body of believers uh, consistently, week in and week out, month in and month out. And God, I, I pray that you just open the eyes of our heart this morning and uh, just encourage us to be committed to the body uh, for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Lord, for those that are with us today that may not yet be followers, that, that may not understand the whole church thing or may not even understand the Jesus thing, Lord, I pray that in the context they will see the value and the benefit, uh, the advantage that can come from being a part of the body of Christ. So meet with us, Lord, have your way in our life, and we'll give you the glory and the honor. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, I think the Bible assumes that we gather for worship. And you might be thinking, well, pastor, certainly you want people to be here because you're here most every week. And, and, and the more people that are here, the, the more people you have. And, and you kind of have a, you know, uh, a little bit of a self interest there. And, and, and I, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I would much rather preach to more than less. I mean, I would, I'd rather teach to more than less. And, and you're true. That's true. I mean, I know this kind of comes across as, well, that's kind of self-serving, Pastor. You want everybody to, to show up, right? So, but I, what I want us to understand is that God has, has built into us the need to be a part of the body. And he's built into the body the need for you and me to be a part of it. And, and what I want to talk about is why it's important that you and I should be engaged, uh, and, and really not even simply for us. I think there's a game changer when it comes to gathering with the body of Christ for worship and for study together. And I think the game changer is when you can see past the opportunity the church provides for you and see the responsibility expected of you. I believe that's the game changer. Uh, when, when you can see past the opportunity the church provides for you and see the responsibility that God expects of you, that can be a game changer. Now you might be thinking, what's a game changer? Uh, anybody watch college basketball? Anybody? Okay, there's a few of us. Uh, I watch it pretty often. Uh, I was watching the Aggies the other night, and this is, the, this is the most amazing thing to me. Not that Aggies have a good basketball team or anything. But, but, but just imagine with me. You know, a, a team, the basketball game's going along and a team goes on a run and like A&M got ahead by eight points. So they had an eight point lead and the, the opposing team calls a timeout. They gather for, the two teams gather in front of their bench for one minute. And after a minute of talking, I, I don't know what happens, but they come out and in about two minutes, they, the game's tied up. 
It, it's, it, you, these guys call a timeout, and it, it often, not always, but it often becomes a game changer. And, and I wonder, what does the coach say in one minute? That, did the guys, they make their shots? They, they play, they do all these different things. Well, we, I mean, does the other coach not say anything to them? I mean, I mean, why don't you just say, okay, they called a timeout because we're kicking their tail. You, you got to go out there and keep kicking. But that, that usually doesn't happen. And so what happens, the coach calls a timeout and, and it becomes a game changer. Well, I believe when we under, when we look at church life, not so much of the opportunity and the privilege it provides for me, but the responsibility that God has given to me, then it can become that game changer where all of a sudden I start to think differently. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to challenge you to think differently about how you approach uh, church life, church worship, and gathering. From the context of God has an expectation of me and you, not just God wants to, to provide ministry to us. And let me just call your attention to, um, to, to this statement. Worshiping together is not just an opportunity. It is a responsibility. Worshiping together is not just an opportunity. It's a responsibility. Now, what do I mean by that? Look down at verse 24, and we're going to look at a couple phrases. But he says there, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another. And then he says, not forsaking meeting what? Together. And then, in verse 25, but encouraging one another. And so what, what you see in the text there is the expectation is that when I'm a part of the body and when you're a part of the body, when we're a part of the body gathered together for worship, gathered together in group, it's not just about what that does in my heart, but it's what it allows me to do in the heart of other people. And so there's the, there's the responsibility that goes along with the opportunity. Turn back, if you will, to, uh, to Philippians chapter 2. Real quickly, I want to look at um, kind of the beginning of chapter 2. There's four verses. Let me just, it's pretty short. Let me just read them all and I'll point out one. Paul writes, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, and, and I've been encouraged in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy or make my joy complete by being of the same mind, Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, now look at this, look at these next two verses. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so I believe the responsibility that God has engendered to us as believers, is to to look out for the benefit of other people. We have a responsibility, if you will, to stir one another up to love and good deeds, to encourage one another. D- did you know that in the New, in the New Testament there are more than forty commands to support, encourage, edify, pray with, etc., etc., one another? So on at least forty occasions. God says we're to do something for one another. Now, while the scripture is clear, I think, that we're to gather corporately, 
and we should, and I love the corporate worship experience, but I believe part of the sense of this text is that we need to not just meet together in here, but we need to meet together in a, in a small group, whether you're in a Sunday school group together, whether you're in a home group together, whether you're in a, a, a Bible study discipleship group together. But I believe scripturally, uh, not only does the scripture assume that we gather corporately for worship, but the scripture assumes that we're going to meet together in smaller groups. And the reason is found in Proverbs because it says, just as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And that can't happen. That cannot happen unless we get in a group together consistently. And so I believe the Scripture's clear and teaches that, that we're to do that. Now, I want to call your attention. I want to give you three ways we do that. But, but notice, I believe the key, and I've kind of missed this over the years, I think, maybe, uh, as I've looked at this passage. It's really easy to look at this passage and say, oh, we need to stir one another up. And, oh, we need to not stop meeting together because some are in the habit of doing that. And we need to encourage one another. But you know what the main verb is? The main verb is found there in verse 24, and it says, let us consider. In other words, we're to give some thought. We're to to focus on how do we stir up other people to, to love and good deeds. And so I've... You know, I've, I've heard messages about, oh, we gotta, we gotta encourage one another. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta meet together. But how often have we been challenged to sit down and think about, how do you do that? How do you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, how do you stir others up to love and good deeds? How do you encourage others? How do we do that? And so I think the writer is saying, cause Keep, think about the context. Man, they were, they were suffering persecution. Some of them had had their property sta- taken. Some of them had, had suffered all kind of hardship. And so, man, it was really easy. But they're like, man, hey, this Jesus thing, not sure we want to do that church thing. We're kind of, hey, we're going to step back. And the writer said, no, no, it's a value to you. There's value to you to meet together. And, and the reason, it says, he says, so you need to meet together. And you need to spur one another on. That's, uh, we don't see that in the, the ESV, but really that stir one another up. That, that's kind of the idea for you cowboys and cowgirls. You, you spur a horse to, to, to move them forward, to stimulate them, right? Well, how do, he says, give some thought to how you stimulate other people to love and good deeds. How do you encourage them? How do you stimulate and encourage others uh, to work together? And so, so as I've given it some thought, I want to give you three ways that I believe the Scripture teaches that, that we're able not, not just to enjoy the opportunity of, of being a part of a church and a part of a group, but also how do we fulfill the responsibility of, of stirring others up and encouraging others on. Let me just give you three ways we do that. First of all, we need to walk together. You've you got to be willing to walk together. Now, that's where, again, that you know we, we can't all get out... And, we can't all get together. We, we can't all have a conversation. But when you get four, five, six, or eight people, ten people maybe, uh, four or five couples together, man, you, you can really walk. You say, well, we're not going to go for a walk, but that's really not what the idea is. By the way, the idea of walking together, uh, the concept is to, um, it, it's to order our behavior in Christ. It, it's, it's how we, when, when the scripture says, so walk in him, as it does in Colossians 2, 7, it says, uh, so walk in him, it's talking about, so conduct your life in him. Order your conversation or order your behavior, if you will, in Christ. It's it, so, 
that can only happen when we get together in, in smaller increments. And we, and we encourage one another and we kind of push one another on to that. And so we are, uh, the scripture says that we're to walk together. In, in, in Romans 8, 4, it says we're to walk by the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, 1, we're to walk worthy of the calling. Ephesians 5, I think it's uh, verse 2, we're to walk in love. In verse 8, we're to walk in the light. In, in verse 15, we're to walk wisely. And so the scripture kind of says, man, listen, we're to order our behavior. We're to order our lifestyle. Based on the Word of God. Now, if we're going to do that, we need help. We need to be uh, spurred on. And you need people to help you. I need people to help me. And so, therefore, the, the Scripture says we're together together. Now, what are the advantages? Let me just give you three reasons that you need to walk with others in, in, a, in a kind of in a worshiping, uh, Bible study, uh, spiritual group, if you will. Let me give you three reasons. First of all, it, 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 it's safer when you walk with others. It's just safer. And if you've ever been in a bad area, uh, it's safer to be with others. You don't feel really, you really don't feel safe when you're alone. Uh, Lisa probably doesn't remember, she may remember this, probably 20 years ago, we went to a home show. We were thinking about, I think we just got a house. We went to a home show in Atlanta to the World Congress Center. I don't know if, if you know anything about Atlanta. World Congress Center is like acres of building. Well, they had this home show in there, and we went through and looked at everything we couldn't afford, and we said, well, we're, we're done. So there was an exit. So we just thought, well, we're done. We'll go out the exit. Well, I, I wouldn't say the World Congress Center is in the ghetto, but we went out the back door. There was a reason it was locked and we couldn't get back in, but it was locked and we couldn't get back in. And we're looking around. There's, I mean, we're, we were kind of in the hood. Now, thank goodness it wasn't dark yet, but I mean, it was just us. And I was a, I was a pretty nervous little white boy because I was in the wrong place. There's just something. Listen, when you're, when you're alone, you're not as safe as you are when you're in a group. And so the, the scripture says we need to walk together spiritually because there's safety when you walk together. I mean, there's a, re- listen, there's a reason why Paul always had somebody with him. Cause he knew sp- spiritual danger lurks when we're out here on our own. And so that's true. That's true in your marriage. That's true in your spiritual life. That's true in your, in your family life with your kids. And so, so we need to be in a group. There's safety when we walk with people. But get this. They gotta be walking the same way. You need to be in a group with people that have the same values and the same principles. And so you need that. So we need to walk. There, there's safety when we walk together. Uh, it, it's supportive when you walk with others. I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, when, when you're walking with someone, you're a lot less likely to give up. I mean, that, that, that's true in the, that's, that's especially true in the, in the fitness world or in the, in the running world. I'll give you an example. Let's say you and me, Commit that we're going to run at, at 6.30 in the morning. We're going to, okay, we're going to go do four miles or three miles. We're meeting at 6.30 in the morning. We're going to meet out here at the trailhead. And, and you commit and I commit. Uh, unless I'm providentially hindered, I'm going to show up because I made a commitment to you. But I'll tell you what, if, uh, if I commit to me, I might decide at 6.15, ain't doing that. And I don't have anybody, I don't have, I'm not accountable to anybody. So I'll just say, well, I'll, I'll run tonight after work. Anybody? 
I tried that this week. That doesn't work. Here's what I'm saying. Listen, when you're, when you're, when you're committed and you're accountable, there's support there. Now, many of us need that just to exercise. How much more do we need that in our spiritual life? And so you need to be in a group where you're, where you're getting support. So, so we walk together. Uh, it's safer to walk with others. It's more supportive, uh, to walk with others. Uh, number, number three, it's just smarter to walk with others. It's just smarter. Because when you get four or five people, you get four or five people thinking and, and, and their intelligence and their insight. And, and here's what Proverbs says about the loner. He who, Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in himself is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. So we need to be walking with people. Again, that they have the same values. They have the same principles. But it's just smart to walk with people. It's smart to not go on our own. And so if, if we're going to fulfill our responsibility and if we're going to stir people up, we've got to walk with people of like faith. Secondly, we, we've got to watch out for one another. I mean, I need people who will defend me. So do you. I need people who will protect me. So do you. I need people who will stand up for me uh, when somebody tries to run over me. Just, so do you. Uh, I, I, listen, we need people that will help us stay on track. We need somebody to watch out for us, and we need to be watching out for uh, others. That's just a biblical concept. Remember Hebrews, or excuse me, Philippians 2, 4, look out for one another's interests. Not just for your own. Now that's kind of a countercultural statement because in our culture, uh, typically what we see is everybody's looking out for themselves. But the scripture says, no, that's not what we should do. We should look out for one another. Which means I ought to look out for you, you should look out for me, and there's a, it should happen together. Anybody ever seen a neighborhood watch sign? Anybody? Okay, more than the first service. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? That means when, when you're not there, Somebody else is looking out, right? Or when they're not there, then maybe you're looking out for someone. How many of us, when we go on vacation, we call our neighbor or we walk over to our neighbor or we say to a friend, hey, I'm, I'm going to be gone for nine days. Everything should be fine, but can you keep an eye on my stuff? And so I, I typically do that. And I typically tell my, well, my staff knows, hey, it's scheduled. But it's kind of like, will you, you know, will you pick up my mail? Will you watch out for my stuff? And you know what we, you know, we, you know what else we sometimes do? Sometimes we even give them a key. Now, why do we do that? Because if they have a key, if something goes wrong and they have the key, they have the right to go in and take care of what needs to take care of. And so we know, listen, when it comes to our stuff, we need somebody watching out for us. And so here's what I want to ask. Who is it? Who is it that's watching out for your soul? Who, who's watching out for, for your spiritual stuff? Who has a key that they have the right to come into your house and say, Mike, have you thought about the way you're spending your time? Or you fill in the blank, whatever. Uh, here's what I'm saying. Who's got the right to speak into your life spiritually? Now, a lot of us will say, well, you know, nobody, because we don't, we don't want somebody to confront us. And yet here, when it comes to our physical stuff, we know that stuff breaks. We know that stuff goes wrong, and we know when, when, when we're not there, we need, some, we need somebody's help. Well, spiritually, when we're not there, 
we get off track. And so you need somebody watching out for you. So who's watching out for your soul? And more importantly, whose soul are you watching out for? Who's in your life where you're stirring them up, where you're encouraging them, where where you're helping them to not forsake meeting together? Who are you doing that? Who's doing that for you? But who are you doing that for? Because it's a partnership. And so we need to, we need to watch for one another. We need to walk with, uh, one another. We need somebody looking out. And then there's a, there's another area, uh, on our spiritual journey. We need, we need to wait with one another. We need to be walking together. We need to be watching together, but, but we need to be waiting together. You say, what are you talking about there? Life brings difficult times. Inevitable crises. Who's going to be there walking with you when life gets hard? I remember Adrian Rogers said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, either you're in trouble, either you're just getting out of trouble, or either you got trouble coming. You're in one of those three places. Because Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And so who's, who's there waiting with you when the troubles of life comes along? Because see, here's the thing. Uh, no one, no one should ever have to sit alone at a hospital while a loved one is in surgery or, or, or on their deathbed. Should never happen. No woman who's, who's, who's got a pregnancy and they're not sure what things are happening there and, and she should never be by herself when she's waiting on a test to come back to find out, uh, is, is there, is there an issue? Should never happen. Should never happen. Uh, someone who, who should never stand at an open grave alone. You should never stand by yourself when that happens. You should never have to stay at home or be at home by yourself when something happens to your spouse or your loved one and you're waiting on the, the, the corner to come. You should, that should never happen by yourself. But it can and it might if you don't surround yourself with people that love the God you love and serve the God you serve. See, we need people waiting with us. We need people waiting for us and watching for us and, and walking with us. And so my question is, who, who is it? Who is it in your life? Who's in your circle? Those three or four, five, six people that you're walking with to follow Jesus. Who are those? Where, where, where is that little group that's helping you, that's going to help you and watch out for you and speak into your life when you need to be spoken into Who's going to be there when your life comes apart? Because, hey, our lives are going to come apart. And, and for whom are you doing that? that? That's a fair question that we need to ask. Because the Bible assumes that as believers, that, that we will do that. The Bible assumes that as believers, we'll provide that. And, and here's the thing. If that's going to happen, it's going to mean that, that you and I have to be willing if we're all gonna, if we're all gonna have someone to walk with them, if we're all gonna have someone to watch for them, if we're all gonna have someone waiting with them in the difficulties of life, it means that we've gotta do it. Peter Lord wrote a book called Soul Care. Here's what he said. He said, no church can do its job of winning and preserving healthy souls without the full cooperation of its membership. That means spending quality time Toward that end, he says, quality time at church means spending meaningful hours with fellow believers. Not, 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 I'm not, not just with friends, and I'm not, a, I'm not de-advocating friendships, 
But we need people around us that believe like we believe and that value what we value so they can speak into our life. He says in a time of participation, in a time of interaction, in a time of intimacy, we need people there. And so who's going to be there for you? If you're going to maintain a healthy rhythm, you've got to have that balance in your life. You've got to be connected. And you've got to be investing in people. And and one last thing. This is in my notes, but I want to mention this. I want you to look there. At the end of verse 25, but he says, But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, every generation believes that uh, their day may be the day when Jesus comes. And uh, obviously, I think our generation is like, I mean, Jesus is coming soon. We don't know what that means. But read the headlines. I mean, look at what's going on in the world around us. Think about what life's going to... I mean, just imagine where we were 10 years ago. Just for, just think about this, just from a spiritual perspective, just from a church perspective, just from a family values perspective. Look how far we've, we've, we've come in 10 years. So, so the writer says, listen, as you see the day drawing near, as we think about what's to come, we better be connected in a place where we're going to be encouraged where we're going to provide encouragement, where we're going to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Because I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not being a doomsdayer, a, a, a doomsayer, whatever that word is, but I'm just telling you all, as a follower of Jesus, it's, it's going to be more difficult going forward than it has been looking backwards. And so you need people to walk with, to wait with, and to watch out for you. So you need to be in a group. You need to be here. But you also need to be in a group where you can spur one another on to love and good needs. And so I just want to encourage you. Man, you have, you have a you have an opportunity to be blessed, but we have a responsibility to the fellow believers in the body to walk with them, to wait with them, and to watch out for them. So get in a group, get committed, and let's serve Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we close out our time of teaching this morning, Lord, I, man, the last thing I want is for, for us to, to, to experience guilt because we, we don't go to church enough or because we hadn't done this or, God, that's not what I want. God, what I want for us is to understand that in the body of Christ, man, we're called to one another to help one another, to invest in one another. And Father, I just, I pray that you would, you would draw us into this deal because Jesus, you love the church and I know the church is not perfect and I, I know we've got our issues, but man, Jesus, you died for the church. Man, you're the head over the church. It's, it's your, it's your body. Jesus, it's your bride. And so inspire us today. Lord, just just inspire us today to be faithful to you and to your bride and to be a, a good part of what you want to do. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. Father, I just pray that you'll stir us up in that arena to be a part of the body, to serve you, 
to serve your people well for the glory of Jesus, for the King, and for His kingdom. Father, we're going uh, to receive our offering this morning. and uh, Our guys are going to come. And, and, and I would just pray that as we prepare to, to give our offering, Lord, I just pray that you do something fresh in our heart. God, that, uh, that we would just be committed to and believe in the church uh, because it's, it's your body. Jesus, your bride. Thank you for those who invest so much uh, week in and week out not just with their money, but with their time. They serve. They invest. God bless them. Bless those who give each week. May we use what what you bring to tell the story of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.